0: And also, if you don't have a Bible, um, and you would like a hard copy, then please feel free to raise your hands, um, and you will be able to have one. Cool. Before I begin, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you teach us in your word, um, and grow us as your people, and tell us about who you are and how you've saved us. Um, Lord, I do pray that you would um, please help us today. To understand your word, um, that you would help Iggy as he preaches, Lord, help him to preach faithfully, um, and I pray that um, you would change us, Lord, to be more like your son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 28, verse 11. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Cyrusus and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached Puteoli. There we we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him three days later he called together the leaders of the jews when they had assembled paul said to them my brothers although i have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors i was arrested in jerusalem and handed over to the romans they examined me and wanted to release me because i was not guilty of any crime deserving death but when the jews objected i was compelled to appeal to caesar not that i had any charge to bring against my own people for this reason, I have asked to see you and talk to you, with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know people that people everywhere are talking about this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has already has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's Word.
1: Well welcome friends, Uh, our final sermon in Acts. It's been such an amazing journey. I've loved actually teaching through Acts and getting deep into the word, um, into this amazing story here that God has for us. And I hope you've really enjoyed it and been encouraged and challenged as well. Um, And we're up to our last sermon today as we bring things to an end. Um, I wonder what you um, talked about in your little chat about what your autobiography would be called. Um, I'm keen to hear a few of those after the service. Um, I've recently been reading a biography, an autobiography of Arndo. Do. You, who here knows who Arndo is? Hands up, you know who Arndo is. Here's Ando, he's a good mate of mine. You can see, um, <laughs> one of my best mates. Just kidding. I met him, I think, ten years ago in Strathfield at some random event. He's a good guy. Um, quite a good looking young fella next to Arndo Do there, don't you think? Ten years on? Probably twenty years, actually. <laughs> Um, I've recently been reading his autobiography. It's called The Happiest Refugee. I don't know if anyone's read it. Have you got anyone read it? Yes, Natasha's read it. Um, it's it's very—it's actually really fascinating. It's a really fascinating story. Um, a fascinating story of his near-death experience on a refugee boat coming over from Vietnam here, uh, living in poverty. This guy had nothing. The struggles that his mum, a single mum, went through to provide for their family, all the, the shame, the... The, um, the sadness, the struggles, the hard work he had to put in. Stories of his romances that uh, didn't work and did work and um, how he took care of his family. It's, it's an incredible story. All these incidents in his life that have shaped him to who he is today. Incidents that have... Um, events that have given him purpose, that have given him um, a direction of who he is. Yeah, His story actually continues today. I don't know if you know this. Um, Ando, he's probably most well-known as a comedian. So he's a really well-known, popular comedian. Uh, He's also an author of children's books. Did you guys know that? He's written a whole series of children's books which are one of the most popular series, um, all of his multiple series in the library. The kids love them. And he's also a famous artist. I don't know if you guys know this. So he's got a show on ABC. Um, I've forgotten the name of this show. Ando's Brush With Fame, Tash just told me, where he interviews celebrities and then he paints a portrait of them whilst he's interviewing them and it's amazing. Like This guy is incredibly talented. So his story's still going today, he's still writing the next chapter of his story. Now friends, I wonder what your autobiography is of your life so far and what's your life story in terms of where you're going? What's your story look like? Where's your story going? What shaped you to be the person that you are today and what is install for you in the future. At the core of your story is this, it's what have you lived for? What have you lived for? What's important? What matters? Are you living for now? What are you living for now? What, what will you live for in the future? That will be the core of your story. Another way to look at this is this, um, what would be the blurb of your story that would be left on your tombstone? Those few lines that would sum up your life story that everybody who walked past would read and actually see this is who this person is. This is what their life was all about. Friends, as we think about stories, we think about our life story, I want to conclude the epic story of Acts today. And I want to show you that this story actually changes everyone's story here in this building. This story has the biggest influence that it could possibly have on each and every one of us but oftentimes we forget that so let's get stuck into the ending of this epic story of acts now just to give you a bit of um just to give you a bit of context what's happened so far so pastor matt took us through this last week a massive chunk of the book of Acts, paul comes back to jerusalem the apostle paul for those of you who are just joining us He was an early church planter, an early missionary. He's telling people about Jesus Christ. So he's just come back to Jerusalem, uh, the capital, the headquarters, um, and immediately there's a huge uproar. People try to kill him. They're trying to put him in jail. They're trying to say he's spoken out against the temple. The Jews, the Jewish people, they're saying that he's overturning the old ways. They're very, very angry. So what happens is Paul actually gets put on trial before various authorities, yeah, So here's a little bit of a snapshot. Various authorities. Uh, the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish authorities. That's the council. They try him. They pass him off to Governor Felix. He's one of the Roman authorities. He stays there for two years in jail. Then he gets passed off to Governor Festus, another Roman authority. And finally, there's King Agrippa, who's a friend of Festus. And they're trying to find out, is this guy guilty or not? What's, this, what's he done wrong? What, what should we do with him? And here's the thing about Paul. He takes every single opportunity he can to speak about the gospel when he's on trial before these guys. The Sanhedrin, they, uh, the first group, they want to tear him apart as he's talking about the gospel. And then the Romans, they sort of save him in one sense because they're trying to figure out whether he's innocent or not. They keep passing him around. It's a really interesting story of Paul going through all these various trials and challenges, at any point his life could be gone. But at the back of his mind throughout all of this is uh, something that God has told him. Right at the start, after the violent encounter with the Sanhedrin, he had actually received a message from God. And this message was this. Acts 23 verse 11 says this. The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul goes forward through all these trials knowing that God's got more in store for him. His story can't end here in Jerusalem. There's more to write. He takes the opportunity when he's on trial before Festus, Governor Festus, to actually demand an appeal before Caesar, uh, Emperor, uh, the Roman emperor. It was Nero at that time. As a Roman citizen, he's granted this And these chapters actually chronicle his journey to get there. Paul knows he needs to get to Rome. He makes this appeal. So now he's on his way there. And we're at our first point, which is this, an epic voyage. So we start the story with Paul handed over to the Romans. Uh, Luke is with him on this journey as well. Luke is the author of um, Acts. So you'll see that it's spoken through a first-person perspective on, on certain sections as well, eyewitness accounts. So he's handed over to the Romans. They're just about to put him on a boat. but um, our progress is very, very slow. This is a massive trip. You'll see on the map here, it's a massive trip. They're, leave, uh, they're leaving from Caesarea and they're going all the way across the sea to Italy, to Rome. But as they go along, they face many, many challenges. We pick it up here at Fair Havens. As they've made very, very slow progress, they're at Fair Havens. Have a look at Acts 27 verse 9 with me. So keep your Bibles open. Acts 27, verse 9. I'll give you a minute to find it. So Acts 27, verse 9. We pick it up at Fair Havens, sort of halfway um, on the trip, maybe a bit under halfway. Yeah. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was, now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So the time marker that Paul says uh, here, he puts a date at uh, early October, which means that winter is right around the corner. This means horrific conditions, a bad seas and danger. Paul gives a warning to stop, but he is ignored. The centurion in charge of his boat, he wants to get to Phoenix. You can see Phoenix on the map there. It's, it's not far. It's not far, uh, but before they even get anywhere closer, a violent storm hits and blows them out to sea. The waves surge. The ship is tossed on the waves like a little toy boat being threatened to um, be pulled apart. And have a look at verse 20 with me. Acts 27 verse 20. It says this. When neither sun nor stars appear for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. The sky was so thick with dark clouds that they didn't even know whether it was day or night. It seemed certain that they were going to die. And at this point, Paul stands up and he speaks. Verse 21. Have a look at verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves the damage and loss. This is Paul saying, I told you so. (laughs) Verse 22. But now... I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island." The Apostle Paul knows that his plan, God's plan for him is to go to Rome. That's why he's gotten on this boat. But I'm guessing that even Paul's faith at this point in the journey in a raging storm may have been slightly shaken. Am I going to survive this? God, I'm scared. What's going to happen? Is this really your plan? I'm sure he's thinking that. And in the darkest night of the storm, God sends an angel to remind him, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Do not be afraid. God has a plan for you. What a comfort. And they sail on. They sail on. And they're pushed out across the Adriatic Sea. After 14 days of relentless darkness and storms, storms that should have killed them multiple times over, they start approaching land. And Paul addresses the crew again. Have a look at verse 34 with me. Acts 27, verse 34. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of them on board. Paul knows that God is faithful, that he will keep his promise, that he has a plan. He assures them again. Not one of you will lose a hair on your head. But they are far from being all clear from danger. As the next day breaks, they see land. They can see a little island, right? They cast off the anchors. They hoist the sails and they make a run towards a sandy beach trying to get the boat up onto the shore. But suddenly, they strike a reef under the surface. They can't see it and it gouges a huge hole into the boat. The boat starts to go under. The front of the boat is torn open. They can't move. And the rear of the boat is being torn apart by the waves. This is the end. The boat's going to go down. The Roman soldiers, what they actually do is they start drawing their swords, and they're just about to kill all the prisoners because they can't let any of the prisoners escape alive. So they're just about to kill the prisoners so they don't escape. But have a look at verse 43, what happens. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. They are finally safe. God's promise has come true. He has saved Paul. He has saved Paul. They've arrived at the island of Malta. But before you breathe a sigh of relief, something else happens. <laughs> the native people of the island um, have built a fire to keep everyone warm, right? And Paul is going, so they just saved them. The natives were very kind to them. My Maltese friends always remind me of this. That, did you see the incredible kindness the Maltese people showed? Um, they were very kind to them, took care of them, built a fire. And Paul's gathering some sticks. So he brings some sticks and he brings them over to the fire. And as he throws them on fire, do you know what happens? A snake comes out and bites him on the hand. A snake comes out, scared out by the heat. He must have, there must have been a snake in the sticks that Paul had. It bites Paul on the hand. Have you guys ever had a day where everything goes wrong? Have you guys ever had that day? You know, your alarm doesn't go off, you drop your phone, break the screen, then the car runs out of fuel, you get to work late, your boss shouts at you, that sort of day. I think Paul's having one of those days. Um, that's, I can only imagine what Paul's thinking. Are you kidding me, God? A snake bite? Another thing? And the islanders—they all watch intently. They're, they're actually watching. What they say is like, "This this man must be an evil man. I can see his God is punishing him. Let's see what happens to him. Let's see if he dies or not." And Paul shakes off the snake. He's fine. And they're in awe. They're like, "Oh, this man's special. Maybe he's a god." Once again, God's promise has come true. That. He will protect Paul. He saves Paul. It's an incredible story. (laughs) A story of many challenges and many possibilities of situations where Paul should have perished, should have died, but he didn't. This would have made, I think, a, a great little Netflix series or something with all the stuff that happens, all the ups and downs. It's a very interesting story, but here's a big, important question. What do we learn? I'm going to get you guys to do some work Right now, talk to your neighbour about this. What do we learn from this chapter of Paul's story? Take a few minutes, have a chat with your neighbour about this. What do we learn? Yep. Thing, man, tell me. I'll see if we're on the right track. All right, friends, let's bring it back together. I'm sure you all got the perfect answer in that one minute that I gave you to talk. Sorry, we don't have much time to talk about it. Um, You know, there's lots to learn from this story. I just want to point out two things which I think are really important here, okay? So two things are really important here. Number one, if we can get on the slides again, boys, yeah. Number one is this, Paul is God's special prophet, Paul is not just any guy. This story is here to confirm once again that Paul is a special chosen prophet of God. It confirms his divine authority as a messenger. How's this so? Because God saves him over and over again from death so that he may preach salvation. Just like the prophets of old. This is a pattern established in the prophets of old. Just like, here's one. Just like Jonah, saved from the depths of the sea so that he might preach salvation to the Ninevites. Just like Daniel, saved from the lion's den so that he might preach salvation to the foreign kings he served. God saves his prophets because he has a purpose for them, to preach salvation. If there was any doubt of Paul's divine calling, who he is, is this, a, is this guy the real deal? Is he really working for God? This story dispels any doubt about this. This is God's specially chosen man. He saved to save others. But this isn't ultimately a story about Paul. This is a story about God. And the second thing to really learn here at this point is this: God is powerfully in control. God is powerfully in control. I hope some of you guys got this. Humanly speaking, think about this. There's no way that Paul should have survived all the things that happened to him. He shouldn't have survived. But I think that's the point. It's only because of God's powerful plan that he survived. He survived a storm, a shipwreck. He survived soldiers trying to kill him in case he jumps overboard. He survives a snake bite. Four situations that any other day we would have expected him to perish, to die. But this is Paul. God is on his side. God will never leave him. God has a plan for him. And he's promised to protect him. And his plan is this, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul said this, I mean, God said this over and over and over again. I've got a plan for you. And God's promises, they never fail. Because God's plan never fails. You see, God is powerfully in control, not just of Paul's life, but of our lives, of this universe. Even when we don't feel like he's in control, guess what? God is in control. When our lives are spiraling out of control, they're in chaos. When our lives don't seem to make any sense, it isn't because God's taken his hands off the steering wheel, no. He's always in control. He has a plan for us even if we can't see what that is right now. And that truth, even if we can't discern every detail of this plan, if we believe that truth, it actually brings us great comfort, doesn't it? It brings us comfort in the midst of the darkest storm that God is still working in ways we might not realize. Well, friends, there are two truths to draw, but the journey isn't over yet. I want to head to point two here, the final scene. And this is what Abby was reading about before. After spending uh, three months in Malta, finally they set sail for Rome. I think there's a... Yep. When they arrived, Paul Paul's allowed a fair degree of freedom. No doubt he has won the respect of the Romans throughout the voyage. So he's allowed to rent a house and stay under house arrest with a Roman soldier with him at all times. So he's under arrest, but he can't really leave, but he can still have guests, people come over. So he speaks to them. Now, um, when Paul goes to a Roman city, what's the first place uh, that he normally goes to? Who knows? What's the first place that he goes to? Synagogue. Good. Great job, guys. Um, he goes to the synagogue when he normally goes to a new city because he wants to preach the gospel to the Jews first. Okay? He wants to preach the gospel to the Jews. So he can't go to the synagogue now. He's under house arrest, so he brings the Jews to him. He's got a heart for his people. He's got a heart to save his people. So the Jewish leaders, he calls them together. Um, they haven't heard much from Jerusalem or anything actually about all the negative reports that have happened to Paul. That's what I said in the reading before. They, they said, we haven't heard what's going on and how the city was trying to riot to murder him. They haven't heard about this. Um, likely they'll just too far away in Rome. So they give him a very fair audience. They want to actually listen to him. They want to hear what he has to say and have a look at Acts 28 verse 23. So skip forward to Acts 28 verse 23. Okay. Acts 28, verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and it came in even larger numbers in the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Paul opens up the scriptures. He points them to the fact that, to his fellow Jews, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these scriptures. It's all pointing to Jesus, that every hope of the Messiah... A king coming to save his God's to God's people. That This hope that they've been waiting for for centuries, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's telling them. He's explaining to them. He's trying to persuade them. Because Jesus has come. He's risen. He's the king. This is all fulfilled. This is all... You don't have to wait anymore. But some believe and others do not. Some believe and others do not. This is the pattern of the gospel. But then Paul drops a statement that really stirs things up. Verse 25. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. This is a quote from the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament, where he is commissioned by God to take God's word to a stubborn people, Israel. And Paul is saying, just like Isaiah, I've been sent to a people that will not understand. You Jews. It's not that the people can't understand. It's that they won't understand. Paul is saying to them, you've hardened your heart so much that you just don't want to hear the truth. You can't see what should be plainly obvious to you in the scriptures that you have in front of your hands. Jesus is the Messiah. You just won't see that. And Paul, as he quotes this, stands in the footsteps of all of those that have come before him. Every prophet that's been rejected throughout history. Even Jesus Christ himself, because Jesus quotes this as well. Rejection is part of the package. And this moment, actually, is actually a climax in the book of Acts. Because do you know what it's saying? That it's actually bringing something to a close. The gospel going to Jews first, but being rejected. That's a theme that's been coming up. The gospel going to the Jews first, but being rejected. This is a climactic time where actually it's moving on. Look at what he says to the Jews. Acts 28, verse 28. Acts 28, verse 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. They will listen. It's not saying that the gospel isn't for Jews anymore, but this is actually a turning point. This is a turning point. We've seen the gospel start to go to non-Jews already, um, but now it's about to explode. Paul has arrived. Think about this. Paul has arrived in Rome the capital city of the Roman Empire. Remember their salvation plan that Jesus laid out in chapter 1 of Acts? It was this, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We might think that with Paul reaching Rome, the ends of the earth has been hit already. This is really far from Jerusalem, but this is just the beginning. The next stage of the gospel mission is just about to begin. This is just setting the stage. This is just the foundation. Because as we finish the book, have a look at this. Uh, Acts 28 verse 30. Have a look at the final verses of Acts. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. They're the last verses in the whole book. Church history accounts tell us that Paul waited for a considerable amount of time in Rome. In this time, he wrote many letters that are scriptures for us today. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon. Letters preserved for us as scriptures that we read and we see God today. Then what happened is he made a brief defense before the Emperor Nero and then just got released because apparently his accusers never decided to make the trip to Rome. But in the end, it doesn't really matter so much what happened to Paul because this isn't really Paul's story. He's just part of a bigger story. This is God's story. I love how the story of Acts ends. I really love these final verses. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's it. That's how it ends. Do you get a sense that there's more to come? I feel like this is a to be continued. Is this the end? I think this is just the beginning. (laughs) And we are living proof that this is true. God's gospel story continues. Church, look around you today. Just have a look around. We are recipients of the same gospel message that the Apostle Paul preached in chains in Rome across the world. The church exists because the good news of Jesus Christ didn't stop back then but kept spreading and spreading and spreading and reached us even here in Australia Right, Australia, nearly two thousand years later. Now, if you want to call somewhere the ends of the earth, it's Australia, isn't it? See, ends of nothing's close to here, but the gospels here. (laughs) The gospels come to the end of ends of the earth, and the existence of the church is evidence. It's living proof that God's promises—they don't fail. God's promises come true. The promise. Here's another promise of God: that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for everyone. Everyone. No matter what race, what nation, what ethnicity you are, no matter who you are, we all share in the same promise, the same hope of salvation. This church is living proof of that. I don't know about you, but I'm amazed when I just think about that, that this little fledgling movement that started at the start of Acts with, um, what was it, 12 fearful people who are hiding in a room has now exploded, and we are recipients. We're in the same gospel tradition as that church. We stand here today as part of a worldwide church of millions of disciples of Jesus. Many more before us have gone to glory as well. Uh, Millions of disciples of Jesus, the church that has continued to blossom and grow despite persecution and challenges and people trying to oppress Christians throughout every era of history. The church survives and not just survives, it's growing. It's growing. More and more people are bowing their knee to Jesus Christ and finding salvation. Friends, this is God's story. This is God's beautiful, amazing, unstoppable salvation story. A story that we get to be a part of when we come, come to Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to be part of that story if you aren't already and you're here with us today. Friends, the question to ask as we think about God's big story is, What's your next chapter in your story going to be? Or maybe I should put it like this. What's your next chapter in God's story going to be? Friends, if you are feeling lost, maybe you're here today and life is a bit, you're not really sure what the next steps are, where you're going, what, why am I here, what, what really matters. You don't have to wonder. Our Lord Jesus Christ has given us clarity He's showed us the plan already. Let me take you to these core key verses, the Great Commission. We know them, but let's really think about them. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. (coughs) me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age." As we think about our stories, our next chapters, let me remind you about why we are here. This is why we're here. This is why Jesus hasn't returned yet. He's waiting for something, this is it. Because we still have a mission as his church. And that's saving souls, showing people the good news, helping others know how good Jesus Christ is. And nothing, let me tell you friends as we finish, nothing, nothing is more important than this. Because, friends, this is the gospel. This is good news. This is about life and death. This is about heaven and hell. This is about eternity. This is about changing lives, transforming lives. This is real. Jesus Christ has lived, died, and risen again to forgive sins and give new life to you. But he's given new life to you, not so you could keep this gift to yourself, but that you would give the gospel everywhere you go. Because there's no greater gift than this. Friends, let me remind you, there's just in six suburbs around our church, there's 60,000 people that live, just in six suburbs, just around our church. And there's a few statistics about Australia as a whole that keep bringing us the urgency of this mission that we're on. Um, only, five, only 5% of Australians are in Bible-believing churches right now. Uh, no religion is the, uh, the fastest-growing category in the Australian census. And the surveys actually show that most Uh, people who don't know Jesus, non-Christians, they actually don't even have a Christian friend. They don't know a Christian friend. How are they to hear the gospel if that's the case? The world needs us. The world needs us. And friends, as we think about church, I want you to remember this. This is not what church is like, okay? We're not on a luxury yacht keeping us safe on the way to heaven, keeping us comfortable on the way to heaven. We need to keep thinking about this image. We're a lifeboat. We're a lifeboat. Which means this our mission's dangerous. Our mission is challenging. Our mission is uncomfortable. But our mission is about saving lives. Because all around us, think about it, there are thousands of people perishing. They are drowning without Jesus. If We believe this gospel is true. If you don't believe the gospel is true, then don't worry about what I'm going to say. But if you believe the gospel is true, then think about this. People are perishing without Jesus all around us. And we have the way of saving them. Our mission is to get out there and to pull as many onto this lifeboat as we can. To bring as many on to save them, to show them the good news. But not only to save them, but then to nurture them, to grow them, to take care of them and train them and equip them so that they can join on the mission join on the mission with us, to keep saving more and more people. Because friends, I'm convinced of this, this is what our King has left us here for. This is what Jesus left us here for. Church, we are the hope of the world because we have the only message that can save. This is the reality. It's a big mission and nothing's more important. But I want to remind you of something of Jesus' closing lines of this great gospel commission. I love these lines. As Jesus gives the great commission, he says this, and surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. Friends, as we finish, I want you to remember this. Our king is with us. And salvation, as we go on mission, as we share the gospel, as we invite people to mark drama, as we get rejected maybe, but some say yes, as we go and have hard conversations in the workplace, as we stand up for our beliefs and we get shut down for it, as our family rejects us because we don't go along with their traditions anymore, but we want to follow Jesus as people push us away because of Jesus Christ, as things don't seem to work, as life maybe doesn't seem to be going as smoothly as it should when I'm a Christian. As all of these things come, I want you to remember something, that Jesus is with you. And he will never, ever, ever abandon you. He's made us that promise. And guess what? Jesus keeps his promises. Salvation, friends, as we go on mission fathers, here's the comfort. It's ultimately not in our hands. It's, his, it's in his. We can't change hearts. Only Jesus can. I love that Jesus is in control. Because it means this, that you can be bold, you can be courageous, you can just get out there and share the gospel. And no matter what happens, it's still in Jesus' hands. I love that Jesus is in control because um, no matter what happens, we're in his hands, he's got our back, and all these things, he's got a plan for it. There's so much comfort here. That's what keeps the Apostle Paul going. And let that truth keep you going too. Friends, as you walk out that door today, you're walking out into your mission field. Remember that. But do so boldly, with confidence, with courage knowing that you are part of God's salvation story, you're helping him write the next chapter of his unstoppable gospel. Let me pray. Father God, we are so thankful to you of the scriptures that we have that reveal to us this great unstoppable gospel mission you have. Thank you that you choose to use us as part of this plan despite how unqualified we are that we still fail in so many ways. We're not confident. We stumble over our words. We might feel we're not qualified to speak because we're not perfect, but you still use us, Father, to bring people from death to life. What a huge privilege that is. And we pray that we may be bold, trusting and depending on you and comforted by the fact that Jesus is always with us in this and he loves us and he will never let us go. And we pray all these things, ultimately for his glory, our King, our Messiah, our Saviour. Amen.